With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by sports enterprise writer Ron Krojcik. Ron has been covering the Warriors in some capacity for us for years, and he's been a regular presence on the beat this season. On Friday evening, we sat down at the Chase Center to discuss what this disastrous start means for the Warriors long term. Ron and I started by talking about how stunning of a reality this fall from grace has been. Ron, thanks for joining me uh, back on the pod. I know I just want to apologize to our listeners. I know it's been a couple weeks. It's just we're in probably the most travel-heavy stretch of the entire season. It's just so hard to, to cram it in with, with everything else we got going on. But we're not going to shirk you guys much longer. We're going we're gonna to keep this going at least once a week. Um, so, Ron, is it still kind of a jarring feeling for you? Because it is for me. Like, it was just a couple months ago that – Everyone was talking about, hey, maybe there's an outside shot of a title contention. Maybe, maybe they'll definitely make the playoffs. You know, there was all that chatter, and here we are. You know, um, twelve games into the season, they're two and ten, the NBA's worst record, and it's looking like they're jostling for for lottery position. Um, and there's not really a path forward to to being relevant this season. Um, are you still kind of coming to terms with the Warriors' new reality? Well, I think back to our preseason podcast and the over-under, I think we put at 44. And now I think it's about 20. I remember thinking that was super conservative, too. No, I, m- I remember thinking it might be a little high because they've looked so bad in the preseason. Yeah. Um, I think we all underestimated, and obviously a lot of this is driven by the injuries, but I think we all underestimated how bad their defense is. And, and that, I think, traces back to maybe it's time to appreciate those things that Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston and Duran, I think, was kind of an up-and-down defender. But the, the way the roster was constructed, well, also Kevon Looney. Right. I mean, you know, Steve Kerr has said, <laughs> look at those 10 minutes he played on opening night. They were much better defensively in those 10 minutes than they have been since then. So I think this, to me, casts a light on the value of defense and how they lost a lot of good defensive players, either left the team or are currently hurt, Looney being foremost among those. And, uh, and it's showing. And, and I do think the over-under is 20, and that might be optimistic. Because, I mean, there's going to be bad teams they play, and they're going to get better, I think. But um, it's the West is loaded, and the Warriors are not anymore. Yeah, I mean, entering the season, we all, we all knew this defense wasn't going to be great. But to be this bad, I mean, they have the worst defensive rating in the league by a wide margin. I believe the defensive rating is around 117 right now. No one's worse than 114. And that those three those three. Uh, figures are are big when you're talking about a defensive rating um and it's it hasn't really been so much an effort thing it's just it's it's more to me that they're just overmatched on that side of the ball they're slow getting switching on on screens they're slow rotating a lot of times the young guys just straight up don't know what they're doing uh and they're just they're just getting manhandled well i think also it's it's a partly a product of the, the experience and the inexperience and the youth because I think when you're young you realize 
the accolades and the, the drafting and the money is mostly based on your offense. And as you get older and into your career, you realize, yeah, that might be true, but winning is based mostly on defense. And that's where guys like Iguodala and Livingston and Steph and Clay, uh, Clay and Draymond, Draymond understood it earlier in his career, but they, I think they learn and put more focus on defense when they begin to realize that's what leads to deep playoff runs. And these young guys don't get that yet. And D'Angelo Russell doesn't get that yet. And, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein, I think, has been a bit of a disappointment defensively you yeah. know, with his wingspan. You know, that, to me, that's the two places they're really getting hurt is at the point of attack because Poole and Russell aren't stopping people from getting where they want to go. And then the rim protection with Willie Cauley-Stein is not the same as it's been with Looney and others in that spot. Yeah, I mean, this was a team that led the league the past couple of years in, sh- in block shots, and they're one of the worst shot blocking teams. I think people forget how good of a shot blocker Kevin Durant was. Right. Um, and it's not just the the the, the shot blocking; it, it's really the entire ter- interior defense, the help side, and well, and, everything. It's, and, and you don't have to block shots to be effective defensively. You can just uh, pressure shots, right? I mean, I think Iguodala, you know, guys with long arms, Livingston, Iguodala, Durant. Clay, um, you know, who's obviously out for probably the whole season, those guys all affect a lot of shots defensively, right? Because, you know, if your hands in, if their hands in your face, even if done block the shot, it might make you miss the shot. So I think that's there's too many uncontested shots being taken by Warriors opponents so far. So you know the uh, we all know what the situation is this season. Um, it, it, the the most important number will be their lottery odds. You know. Or do, do they have one of the four worst records in the league so they can have a 14% chance of getting a James Wiseman or, or whoever goes number one? Um, but that being said, for a young group, just from a morale standpoint, you want to get a win at some point. I mean, they're 2-10 and 10 now. They're, they're more, this is before the Boston game, so they're, they're in a five-game skid. Um, they've lost, I think, eight of their past nine. And, and they're probably going to lose tonight against the Celtics. I mean, Celtics right. are a really good team. Um, but I agree with you. I think... I think it's important, I think Steve Kerr has acknowledged this, that it's going to be disheartening if this is loss after loss after loss after loss. I mean, look at this road trip. They play nine of their next 11 on the road, as you know, given your itinerary. and your yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of airline miles coming up, yes. Connor. Southwest um, points. Yeah. But, um, you know, they need to win in Memphis or New Orleans, one of those games, you know, that they can get. Um, I remember I was watching on TV when you and the team was in Minnesota, and they should have won that game. Right, and that I remember, was their worst loss. Well, but I remember thinking, watching that game, they're not going to get a lot of chances like this to be right. up in the fourth quarter against a decent but flawed team. You got to close that out, right? You know, and they didn't. And and I, it, that's going to be if they keep losing games like that, because they're going to get blown out against really good teams like the Celtics or the Lakers, as they did the other night. But those those fifty fifty games, like fifty fifty loose balls, you got to get some. Right. And if they don't, it could be a really really long season. The margin for error is just so slim that they're at a point now where even to beat these mediocre teams, everything has to go right. right. And you know that that win over Portland, which was probably their their best win of the season so far. There aren't too many to do. <laughs> <on. laughs> yeah, the, it, it was better than the one other win they have. Um, Everything went right. It felt like out of a movie almost. Like 
you know, Kai Bowman stepped up right. and Eric Paschal went for 34 and 13 and they they held their own against CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard. And, yeah, and Lillard only scored like 50. And that's <laughs> the reality is that's just not going to happen very often. And they, there's been a lot more games where, you know, they, they can kind of hang in there for the first half and then their lack of depth becomes glaringly obvious in the second half and they just they end up losing by 20 only three of their 10 losses have been by single digits well and that's why the opportunities such as minnesota or uh what was the other game on that road trip recently where they they could have and should have won um houston no not really houston there was another game oklahoma city yeah the second trip to oklahoma city when they made the big comeback Right, right. right and they're right there tied going to the fourth quarter um like you said, I mean, the March Fair is so thin and they've been blown out so often. When you have those chances for, for, for uh, motivation's sake, for confidence's sake, you know, you need, you, they need to see these lessons that the coaches are going over, Draymond's preaching on defense. They need to see the, them lead to good results or you're going to fall out of those habits. So I do think it's important. Um, obviously, lottery is important in, in, in positioning for next year. But I do think also for next year, they need to build some good habits and some success. You know, and that might just mean 23 wins instead of 18. Who knows? But something. So, obviously, this is all about building towards next year. The The one real big bright spot has been Eric Paschal. I, mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say that he's proven he can be a legitimate building block of this franchise long term. He's And to get a guy like that at 41 is an absolute steal. Um, guys like that usually don't contribute as rookies, much less contribute in the NBA at all. Um, the only two in the past 20 years who've really done anything are Coutinho Mobley, who you remember with mm-hmm. with Houston, and Nikola Jokic in the past 20 years. So that's a steal. But my question for you is, outside of Eric Paschal, who of these young guys are you excited about? Who do you think can really be a piece? We'll have more of my conversation with Ron Krojcik right after the break. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Pascal, first of all, the, the the parallel I think of is Draymond, um, kind of the way he plays, but also I mean where he got drafted. Draymond I think was thirty five, right? Right. Um, I realized he didn't have an immediate impact Both as a rookie. Four year guys in college. Four year guys in college, strong. You know their body type. Winners. Smart players. They clearly know the, the intricacies and the nuances of the game. Um, so I think you're right. Pascal seems like they took a big swing at forty one and, and connected. Um, you know, Jordan Poole's an interesting case at 28, as you and I have talked about a lot in the last week. I've got a, a feature on kind of his upbringing and background and the, the roots of his swag, as we say. And that feature's been sitting there because we're not ready to write, run it while he's going four for 15 and two for 12. Right. Um, and he's an interesting case because I think he's a good shooter. I do, I do think he's – I mean, you look at the way he shoots, and I've seen him in post-practice shooting contests with Clay and D'Angelo Russell, and he's money. Right. Great stroke, but in the games he's having trouble, and I think part of it is something his high school coach told me that, and is in my story if it ever runs, <laughs> is that he's always been not particularly athletic. You know, he made varsity as a freshman, but only because in a specific role as a shooter. 
you know, when he came off the bench in a state tournament game and made a three in the last eight seconds to send it to OT and the team won and went on. But he wasn't athletic enough to go to the hoop and score a lot. I mean, he, he eventually became that in high school, but I think that's an issue in the NBA because at that position, two, two and three positions in the NBA are elite athletes. And if you're not particularly quick or jump high, you're going to have trouble getting your shot off and going to the hoop. I mean, Poole's also been missing, you know, squared up threes. Um, I think he could be a a helpful player, but I'm starting to doubt if he's going to be a, you know, a long-term starter. It might be a role, a specific role where he's a shooter off the bench. But uh, in terms, I I do think that people got a little bit ahead of themselves with, with Poole. I mean, this is a guy who is 20 years old. Right. He was the 28th pick in the draft. There's not. It's not very often that the 28th pick does anything as a rookie. Correct. Um, he's very much a work in progress. The thing that I need to see from him, or I'd like to see from him, is when your shot's not falling, can you still impact a game? Can you still help your team win when your shot's not falling? I haven't really seen that from him. Well, and I think that's where the athleticism question comes yeah. in, you know, because he's not quick enough to create steals on defense. He's not going to – if his shot's not falling, he's not going to be able to go to the hoop the way Steph and Clay can do. I mean, if Steph's shot's not falling, he finds a way to get to the hoop and get to the free throw line. Poole's a very good free throw shooter, as we saw. I think he made his first yeah. 23. So – but he's got to get there. So I think that's an issue. I mean, but you make a good point, and this is – I, I – included this prominently in my feature um he's 20 years old he's two and a half years younger more than two and a half years younger than eric pascal he's 23 now yeah. correct so it's kind of an unfair comparison in some ways because pascal was four years at a college program pool only two. five technically yeah so there's a there, there start they're very different starting points so it, it makes sense that pascal is that far ahead of pool at this point um i mean the, the real telling thing will be the last 10 games of this season for pool you know, Steve Kerr said, told me for that feature, he guarantees he's going to be better at the end of the season. Right. Well, they need him to be better at the end of the season because he's got a ways to go. And I think he, he could be, excuse me, because, I mean, think about it. Pascal's 23. Okay, so what's Poole going to be like in two and a half years when he's 23? That's right. really the, the right. ultimate long-term task. Because if everybody were healthy, he wouldn't be playing that much right now. Right. But, you know, one one thing that's been interesting that I think is getting a little overlooked is – Kai Bowman was a guy who went undrafted, um, two-way contract guy. He was actually ahead of Poole in a lot of mock drafts. Uh, it was such a fluid draft. I saw a lot of mock drafts entering the draft that didn't even have Poole getting drafted. Right. Uh, and then he goes 28, and a lot of people thought that was a little bit of a reach. And I remember telling people after the draft or after the Warriors signed Kai Bowman as a two-way guy that I think Kai Bowman could be a better player. And I still feel that way. Uh, he's, he does things that translate to the NBA game right now that are translating. He's stronger physically. He's, he's a willing defender who can stay in front of his guy. Um, he, he, can, he knows how to make shots. He's a decent shooter, but more than that, he can penetrate and, and kick out. And he's a better passer than I think people realize. He right. was a high-usage guy at Boston College for a bad Boston College team, so he didn't need to pass the ball a lot. But – He's 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 shown that he can pass the ball and he's had a couple really nice games. And so it's going to be really fascinating to see as this season unfolds like what the Warriors do with a guy like that who has a 45-day limit because they might need him. Yeah, I mean I think the Portland game in particular he was good, very good. Um and, and he does have a a skill set that translates in, in running the point and setting up your teammates. That's always going to be important. Um I mean, I don't think I don't see him as more than a serviceable backup. Right. But if he is a serviceable backup, that's something, right? They need a serviceable backup at that position. Um, 
You know, one guy we're not talking about much in looking at young players is Kevon Looney, right. who I believe is still just 23. Yeah. Right? I mean, he much like I – mean, he came out even earlier than Poole, right? Just after one year, I believe, at UCLA. Um, Russell's had, also 23. Yeah. Um, so Looney is someone to me that I'm, I really thought he could take a big step forward this year. If the Warriors were going to be good, you know, back before we had Steph's injury and, and Draymond's injury and all these other things, you thought, okay, if Looney keeps progressing, which, you know, he made pretty big strides last right. year, that, that could win them some games because at that position, and again, not in scoring really, but in defense and setting screens and getting rebounds in all the things that dra- ways that Draymond impacts the game, for example. And a bigger body, right? right, with longer reach and maybe blocking some shots. So I think, I think Looney's absence has been an underrated element in in all their problems. And there's a trickle down effect there too, because yeah. when he's not playing, that means you got to play Marcus Chris more minutes. You got to play Omari Spellman more minutes. And out of their position, and, and out of position, those right. guys are power forwards by by trade, and and they've been playing center. And Spellman, I think, has shown some flashes. Marcus Chris has been very disappointing, given everything he showed in preseason. Right. Um, he's also a guy who's only 22, and I think people were looking at, could could this be a building block? The thing that's interesting about him is the reason why he was so surprisingly good in preseason was because he's never played with a real, truly elite players before. Uh, some, or, or a shooter, I should say, like like Steph, where he can he can – feed him with dribble handoffs and, and he was just so good at that at that dribble handoff which which is a key part of the Warriors offense but as soon as Steph got injured it felt like Chris had a hard time showing anything that could of value of, of helping the team Chris you mean yes. yeah yeah no I agree he seems kind of limited to me um in the games I've seen um like his, his confidence seems a little shaken I think right, right um so so yeah I mean I there's there's some you know promise i think with the youth but it's still kind of early you know it's hard to tell it's it's 12 games i think if you you're not going to hit that your your hit rate's not going to be great on undrafted guys or second round guys so if Pos- if pascal excuse me can continue this trajectory we see you know that's a big win for them so uh i mean that that could really overshadow some of the other issues you're a guy who's always had really good insight, I thought, into Draymond's game and, and, and just the X's and O's of what he what he does, especially offensively. You had that nice piece, I think, last year on his passing ability. He has been disappointing from a statistical standpoint. Obviously, he's dealt with the finger injury, um, and he, there's some definite adverse circumstances. Um, there was an article that ESPN had a couple days ago that basically laid out an argument that Draymond is a player who requires elite players around him to be great. Um, and when he's surrounded by mediocre role players, he, he can't tap into his greatness. What do you think of that argument? There's some truth to that, I think. Yeah, because you think of what Draymond does. I mean, I also think about how the systems change. I mean, Draymond was essentially the point guard last year, which was kind of the crux of my story. Steph might bring the ball up, but Draymond was initiating the offense and doing it extraordinarily well. Right. But he had Steph and Clay curling off screens right. and A, great shooters, B, they knew each other so well. Um, I mean, he's a great decision maker. Decision making is an underrated aspect of a good NBA player. Draymond's fabulous as a decision maker. But you still got to have someone to knock down the shots. Right. You know, and Draymond's never been one to you know, take the ball himself and go score. That's not his game. So it makes sense that he would struggle more with this 
current situation than the last five years. But I don't think he needs four elite players around him to be impact the game. Right. You know, I think Steph and Clay come back and things change. If, if Steph, Clay, and Draymond are all healthy and motivated, this is going to be a good team and a fun team to watch. And they're going to play the way they played the last five years, not this style of three guys watching D'Angelo and Willie Cauley-Stein play pick and roll. I don't begrudge Kerr for leaning on that. That's his best chance to be competitive. Right. It's not a fun way to play basketball, I don't think, in a fun – it's not a great way to watch basketball. Yeah, and I, I think it's a big reason why the mood in the locker room has been relatively light despite all these losses is they all have perspective that – there are brighter days ahead, and they are hopefully going to come sooner rather than later. And, and Glenn Robinson said something today, like, we're just trying to prove that we should be in this team's long-term plans. Like, I want to be here when they're good again, right. so I'd like to show them enough that they want to re-sign me this offseason. Well, and that's really their big motivation on a personal level. Yeah, and that's a mature, logical, smart <laughs> view. Yeah. Um, I mean, the most fascinating uh, – plot line here as you know and as you're going to surely explore in the months ahead is where d'angelo russell fits in all this right because he looked i mean let's think about the last time we did this podcast he looked terrible those first few games when steph was there worst plus minus in the nba exactly and, and it showed in just the eye test too right yeah. just why he looked uncomfortable he's not very good on defense and then since then he's kind of exploded and, and climbed into another realm offensively which is not coincidentally tied to curry's absence um the question the Warriors have to figure out without seeing them together very much now since yeah. Curry's out is can they coexist together? Um, you know, I don't know that Russell's going to fit in a Curry, Draymond, Clay world, just given his style. I agree. He's not saying he's a bad player because he's obviously a very good player, what he's done the last four or five games scoring all these points. But that requires him being the focal point of the offense, and that's not going to be the case when Steph and Clay are back. Yeah, you just—it's not—it's not an ideal situation to have to always stagger the minutes of two of your best players. Right. You want them to be able to complement each other, make each other better. I do think that, regardless of what happens this season, they're going to hold Pat, and I, I do—I don't expect them to trade him at the deadline. I think they'd ideally like to see a, a more of a sample size with Steph. Hopefully, Steph comes back in late February, March, and they can have some games together. And then if push comes to shove and they decide he's not a fit, they can trade him come this summer. Um, maybe package him with a top five pick, you know, because who knows what that could get you, especially if, if D'Angelo pads his, his numbers like he has been. Well, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, I'm sure teams are going to approach them. And, you know, Minnesota, I know, has been rumored because he looked at right. going there. Um, he didn't I, go there because it's cold, he said. He, he would have well, gone there, but it's cold. Well, if they trade him, he doesn't have much of a choice, does right, he? Right. Um, you know, Wiggins' name has been thrown around. Um, it'd be interesting to see what would be enough to get the Warriors to trade him. I mean, what you're saying makes sense. Maybe they wait and do something in the offseason. But if someone overwhelms them at the deadline, right. it's going to be awfully tempting. And yes, it's a small sample size of him playing with Steph, but it's a big contract, too. Right. That, that handcuffs them in other ways, right? So uh, that's, uh, that's definitely going to be a, a big subplot here as we go forward. Ron, great as always. Thanks for joining me. Always, always awesome to pick your brain, get your insight. I'm going to miss you in the next couple of weeks. Going to be on the road. Might only see you once or twice, but uh, you know, keep up the great work. And you can find all of our stuff at sfchronicle.com as always. Thanks, Connor. Travel safely. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor in chief. 
If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at claterno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.